Welcome into the Free Retiree Show, where we help you transform your life so you can become financially free. In this show, we'll give you the inside track on how to excel in your career, filter out the noise surrounding your finances to help you make smart financial decisions, and we'll learn from thought and business leaders who can help you live your best life. Welcome in. I'm your host, Wealth Manager Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm joined in our studio with Career Advisor Sergio Patterson. What is up? And our favorite attorney, Matt McElroy. Hey, everybody. No, it's been a few weeks since our last episode. We've been having a lot of uh, personal things to tend to. So I actually just got married. I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It would have been really tough to tell uh, my wife that I didn't have enough time to plan for the wedding because I was doing a podcast. I thought that would be a very bad decision. So we took a little bit of a break, got the wedding out of the way, went fantastic. I was blessed to have these two guys here, my co-hosts, actually in my wedding. You guys did a great job. Yeah, it was a beautiful wedding. Yeah, it was a great wedding. Good yeah. stuff. Nicest wedding I've ever been to. It was nice. Yes. So, also, I heard uh, Matt, your boy, his uh, birthday, right? Yeah, he turned two on Saturday, <coughs> and he's... Entered the Terrible Twos just on time. So Terrible Twos is real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> doubt. He uh, he let it all out on that birthday. You know, he never he never misses a nap, and he missed a nap that day. And, uh, yeah, it was, oh, a, shit, it was a shit show. <laughs> yep, that happens. <laughs> the dead weight thing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dead weight, flailing, crying, everything. Ugh. Up became down, and everything was crazy. Must get that from his daddy. Yeah, yeah they, they turn into monsters like out of nowhere, right? It's yeah, just yeah. like, what? He, he got this attitude out of nowhere. I'm like, whoa. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I try to reason with him. I try to explain to him why things are wrong and whatnot. And uh, yeah, there's no reasoning. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go on to our hot topics. So the new streaming service everyone's talking about, Disney+. Plus. So what Disney Plus is, for you listeners that aren't aware of it, it is a subscription video demand streaming service. Very similar to HBO Now, Netflix. So with Disney Plus, uh, you can get great classic Disney movies like Snow White, Seven Doors, Lion King. You also get Star Wars movies, Marvel movies, Pixar, Indiana Jones. And uh, it's only $7 a month. Whereas Netflix, which most of us are familiar with, is $9 a month. So I wanted to ask you guys, because I know, Sergio, you got two kids. How old are they? Uh, seven and three and a half. She'll be four in January. And Matt, your boys too. So you guys would be kind of the target audience for this sort of service. Is this something that you guys would get? Yeah. So, yeah, we have Netflix. We got Amazon Prime. I've got an Amazon Fire Stick that my buddy programmed, so we get like this is probably illegal. But we say it on the air. (laughs) (laughs) We're just kidding. Give us a hypothetical situation (laughs) about your uh, device. There's a device that that streams lots of things. Disney Plus, Uh, it's amazing. We got it through uh, Verizon. Um, They have a really good deal. We just it's free actually for a year. Um, You turn this thing on, and you literally have access to all of Disney movies, shows, um, content. Lee is killing spiders in the studio right now. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> Got that. Sucker. Anyways, um, but yeah, the UI is really good. I think they did a really good, uh, you know, job with with launching this thing. And I think what's interesting is as they start pulling the content off of Netflix, um, my kids are starting to gravitate. 
towards Disney Plus because it has Pixar um, in a lot of the films that they love. Uh, the other thing that's really cool is they have Remember the Titans. Really? Great movie. It's a Disney movie. Didn't I had no that. idea. Yeah, there's tons of movies for parents, too, and just every, I think everyone can love it. Matt? Oh, I think they're going to take a huge share of the market just with the Marvel crowd alone. I mean, that's just got such a huge fan base that they're, they're going to tear Netflix apart, I think. And that's the thing. That's always been my complaint with Netflix is like, you know, it's great and there's, you know, a lot of good stuff on there, but it doesn't have that much depth. You know what I mean? They're, you're always kind of like, oh, I wish I could stream that or that. And you can't, you know, you have to get in the mail or whatever. Yeah. So it seems, you know, that it's kicked off and it's off to a great start. So let's take a look at Disney. So a lot of us know that Disney is a huge company. And I did a little bit of research uh, just to, you know, give you guys uh, the inside scoop on how big Disney actually is. Its total equity as of 2019 is $93.889 billion. So when I'm looking at total equity, what that basically means is you take all the assets of the company, you subtract the liabilities, and that is your total equity. But just to put in perspective how massive that is, Nike, what do you guys think Nike is in terms of its total equity? What would you guess? 40. 40. Nike's only nine point eight one billion. Wow! So that just puts everything in perspective. Like, Disney is a monster of a company. Disney owns ESPN now, right? Yeah, yeah. I believe they do. Um, and so if we look at Walt Disney Studios, it includes Walt Disney Pictures, Walt Disney Animation Studio, Pixar, Marvel Studios, uh, Lucas Films, which is the Star Wars Indiana Jones franchise, Twentieth Century Fox. Fox 2000 Pictures, Fox Searchlight Pictures, Blue Sky Studios. Sounds like a monopoly. It's just crazy. I mean, it's just a massive company. And they also have 14 theme parks around the world. But Disney Plus is part of Walt Disney Consumer to Direct International. That's the subsidiary. They have four main ones. This is just one of them. And this is the same thing that has uh, ESPN, Hulu, Freeform, FX, and National Geographic. Now, do you guys think that this has the power to knock off Netflix as, you know, the king? Netflix is going to be the new blockbuster. Oh, that's a that's a hot take. Wow, that's a hot take. That's a very hot take. Wait, let's find. Let's do. We have the stat on how many current subscribers Netflix has. You know, you were talking, or I don't know if you said it yet, but Disney has this goal of reaching sixty to ninety in the next five years or whatever. Sixty to ninety million, I mean, and so, you know, be interesting to see how far that is as far as what Netflix has right now. So I, I just Googled it, guys. So okay. Netflix has 60 million uh, subscribers as of July 2019. That's impressive. So I looked That's at HBO just the United Now. States also. HBO Now, interesting stat, took them three years to get 5 million subscribers. Disney Plus did 10 million in their first day. Nuts. So... Uh, so one thing I'll say, Netflix has been in the game for so long that while Disney might have a lot of subscribers, like Netflix has like some brilliant people there, like really good engineers. Um, they get some of the top talent in Silicon Valley. So like I think from a UI and like user user like interface and experience, Disney's far away, like not even close to Netflix. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where Netflix is. Netflix is going to continue to have a leg up is on like user experience and like releasing and launching in all these like different markets but disney's starting off really well 
Yeah, so this last week has been huge for them. So at the beginning of their month, I uh, took a look at the stock price of Disney, and it's risen 14%. And obviously, this has a lot to do with the success of Disney+. Plus. Um, Disney will also be launching in Australia, New Zealand, and Puerto Rico, and will also be releasing in the United Kingdom, France, Spain, Italy, Germany, Ireland on March 31st of 2020. So they're going to do a staggered rollout. And yes, as Matt said, the goal is to have 60 million to 90 million in five years. And they got 10 on the first day. So it's unbelievable. Well, and I think they're they're easily going to be able to go to these countries where it was a, probably a lot harder for Netflix, if, even if they're even in those countries like that, like, you know, like they want to be. Disney's, I kind of look at Disney like what they're doing is like when Apple entered into the cell phone market and introduced the iPhone, you know, they were established company already and they just go into mm. this whole new field whole new product and it's like bam just takes over it's kind of it's kind of similar in some ways all right so i got a question for you guys which disney movie has helped you the most in preparing for your life or preparing for your career i'm going i'm going lion king lion king akuna matata oh live you know no worries relax everything's gonna happen the way it should um i think it's probably one of the best movies ever made um, oh, but yeah, I think you have to utilize that in this crazy world we live in. Nice. I like that. Matt, what about you? I'd have to say probably Hercules. You um, have such tiny muscles. Please, <laughs> uh, <laughs> please uh, give me a little bit more. No, I just thought, you know, I always like Greek mythology and, you know, I just thought all the adversity that he had to face to, you know, eventually get to where he had to go was, uh, you know, he wanted to become a god and join his family up in, uh, up in Mount Olympus or whatever. And, you know, he went through a lot to get there and it was just a cool story all right not bad i'll give you guys mine uh finding nemo (laughs) why because it's got a great line in there just keep swimming right dory's uh advice to martin you know? So you're you're Dory, right? She's yeah, that's like what I was gonna slow, say. She can't see. <laughs> hey, I am not Dory. <laughs> I was gonna. Th- I thought Lee would relate to Dory. Get out of here. Get lost all the time. I am not Dory, but I like Dory's message. Just keep swimming. Life's gonna throw bad stuff at you, but as long as you keep moving, you're good. All right, on to our next hot topic. In the NFL, Thursday night football, interesting situation happened. We had the Cleveland Browns playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in this game, the Browns decisively beat the Steelers. But in the final seconds of the game, Browns defensive end, Miles Garrett, tackled Steelers QB, Mason Rudolph. And it was a little bit of a rough tackle. I think there was some frustration involved. But ultimately, there was a fight that broke out. Uh, The teams were going at it. And the defensive end, Miles Miles Garrett, pulled off the helmet of Mason Rudolph and struck him over the head with it. It was pretty brutal, sad to watch. Uh, what do you guys think about Miles Garrett? Is he in the wrong? I mean, obviously he's in the wrong, but does he deserve a lifetime ban for what he did? What do you guys think? Yeah, that was pretty bad. I mean, like, you know, you're these guys are professional athletes and to go and I mean, he could have killed him. I mean, that's a, a I mean, that's like smashing a brick on someone's head. He's lucky that the helmet hit the way it did, and it, you know, could have been a lot worse. Would you give him a lifetime ban? I don't know. I mean, that's pretty harsh, but I, I think it, uh, you know, he needs something of probably at least a year. I mean, that's pretty. Yeah, I, 
life yeah lifetime bans a little excessive i mean you know ray lewis when he was in the murder trial like michael vick had a dog ring he's back in the nfl like i, I don't think we need a lifetime ban for miles garrett um I would like to say I think Mason Rudolph started the fight by trying to grab his helmet. If anyone, if you just put it in slow motion, he's the one that starts to pull off the dude's helmet. Miles um, Garrett should at least get a six-game ban, um, but Rudolph, he went a little nuts. He did go a little nuts. I'm gonna go and say I think he deserves a lifetime ban. Maybe you guys don't agree with me, but the whole the you know I know in the NFL there's a lot of testosterone. People get in each other's faces. But the fact that he pulled off the helmet and then used it as a weapon, to me, I'm like, man, that's pretty bad. Like, like soccer my whole life. I've never, I guess you could take the goalpost, the back of the goalpost out and hit someone over the head with it. And that's kind of the equivalent. I mean, you're using a weapon. But Matt, um, so what he did, do you think that he's got any legal issues coming his way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you never know for sure until it happens, but I think there's two different lenses that you can look at this through. You can look at it obviously through a criminal context. I mean, somebody could say this is, I think they even talked about it like assault, assault with a deadly weapon. I mean, some people could even categorize it as attempted murder. I mean, that'd be, you know, far stretch, but you know, he could have killed him with, when he hit him, you know, it's, that's definitely possible. And then you can also look through it at a civil lens. And if Mason Rudolph wanted to file a lawsuit against him for damages or whatever from getting hit, say maybe he you know, had to go to the hospital or maybe he's getting headaches now or, you know, whatever oh, yeah. emotional distress from being struck in the head. <clears throat> yeah, that's definitely there. There's well, what if they, what if they say Mason Rudolph started the fight? Uh, is Miles Garrett fine then in that situation? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's an argument that they would make. They would have to see how that would play out. But I mean, yeah, that's, that's they, they would say he started it. He is, you know, and then there's another one that like, you know, by playing the sport of football, you're assuming the risk of getting hit in the head and all that stuff. But you're, you know, you're not obviously assuming the risk of somebody swinging a helmet at your face. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, that's a good question. Yeah. They, so Mason already came out and said he's not going to press charges. But to your point, Lee, the league has just suspended Garrett indefinitely. So we don't know when he's gonna, when or if he's going to come back. Wow, interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I don't think they'll, they'll make him go away forever, but I think it's going to be pretty harsh because they got to kind of set an example. So we're going to go to our break. When we're back, I'm going to give you guys a market update. Consumer spending is up around 2.9% annualized, but we're starting to see some signs of weakness in the economy. Uh, retail investment spending fell 2.6 annually in the third quarter, and we're starting to see signs of business growth slowing. There's uh, business investment spending has really slowed down, and exports and imports have declined significantly over the past year. Now, that has a lot to do with the trade war, and on that, U.S. and China trade tensions are actually doing all right at this point in time. Uh, there's kind of a verbal agreement, you might say, to move forward into the phase one of the trade deal. However, the big concern that I have, guys, is that this is this rally that we've experienced in the past month is 
strongly based off of just verbal agreements between U.S. and China, but nothing has been finalized. So there's a lot of hype behind this. In a day or two from now, Trump could say something and everything could go the other way in terms of what we've seen in the stock market. This trade deal is not finalized. So that's the big thing that the listeners need to know. Jerome Powell last week was on Capitol Hill and he was addressing the Fed's stance on monetary policy. And he said that they're not going to do any more rate cuts. There were three rate cuts this year. But as long as there is moderate growth, a strong job market, and inflation is close to the 2% target, they don't plan on doing another rate cut. On another front that I found very interesting, and I think Sergio will as well, Google is getting into the banking business. They started opening up checking accounts with Citigroup and a credit union at Stanford University. So to summarize things over the past few weeks, things are doing very well. We've seen a good strong rally in the stock market, but there are signs of economic weakness that are starting to show up. So, you know, somebody, you talked about a lot of things that sound like somebody that's investing right now in the market should probably be pretty cautious. I mean, what, what, what kind of advice would you give somebody that's kind of, you know, looking to invest? I would say that if you're closer to retirement, this is a time where you need to be cautious. We've had this so you need to be cautious if you're entering retirement. You got to make sure you're not swinging for the fences because this is where you could get hurt. With that being said, economic cycles happen, right? So we are going to have another recession. It's not, oh, is it a maybe? No, it is a definite thing that you're going to have a recession. No one knows exactly when. So for people that are entering retirement, you need to plan accordingly. You need to have safety in mind. And then for the younger investors like ourselves, you need to brace yourself for this and realize that recessions bring opportunities. So don't be scared. Don't stop investing. The, the best piece of advice I can give to a young investor is stay the course, keep putting money in. Don't try to time this drop. Well, you know, you know, the whole presidential election and, you know, the presidency could possibly be changing hands and all that is coming up. And, uh, I mean, you, you probably agree that that's going to have a substantial effect on the market and all that, right? Yeah, it, it could be positive, it could be negative, but when elections happen, there there does seem to be uh, impact in the market, but that doesn't, whoever gets elected, it doesn't change anything. So society, the media has conditioned a lot of people to think if this person gets elected or this person gets elected, this is, this is going to be great or this is going to be bad. As a smart investor, you have to stay away from that narrative. And so the most common thing that I run into is I see people that listen too much to Fox News or listen to MSNBC too much and their emotions are tied up in the rhetoric, right? Mm. I believe in capitalism. I believe capitalism works and you have to go through these cycles. So don't get scared. Don't don't listen to the news. Keep investing. Be a smart investor. Don't don't you kind of feel like we're due for a recession? Oh yeah. Like I said, longest expansion. So there's got to be an end to this. Yeah, on the on the recession piece, would you say, what's your advice for somebody, maybe they're looking to buy a house, real estate, maybe they are waiting for that recession. Is it, it sounds like it's just a matter of time. I think that it. we don't know the exact time of when it's going to happen, but this is a time that you need to start, you know, making sure your cash flow looks great, right? I don't want people, you know, 
buying a house, you know, without putting any money down, you know, you need to be able to make a good down payment. So I would say start saving up. Yeah. I was like more saying it wouldn't make sense to buy now if a recession is going to hit in two years, wouldn't it make more sense to buy when the market dips? I would say that a lot of people want to plan for that, but it's not realistic and you shouldn't be going off that whim. You should make sure you have the right financial stability to buy a house. Right. So yes, the recession might happen around the corner. It might not happen for, you know, five more years. No one knows. But I think one big mistake people make is they try to time that. And I don't prudent financial advice would be don't try to time it. Make sure you're in a situation that you can act on it. So that means having enough enough saved up if that situation happens. Yeah, I think a recession is my only chance of buying a house around here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're we'll in the see. Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime soon, anyway. So to conclude, yes, the market's done really well over the past month. But remember, listeners, we are only one tweet away from a very bad day. And that concludes our market rundown. Going to the break, and when we're back, we'll talk about tips to get the most out of your retirement plan. Stay tuned. Welcome back into the show. So on to our featured content. We're going to be talking about how to get the most out of your retirement plan. And for this, I've come up with seven tips for the listeners. Oh, number one, saving the proper amount. In previous episodes, I've talked about, you know, the 50, 30, 20 rule and how important that is. And the 20 is saving 20% of what you make. That's a rough number. Everyone's situation is different. But for general purposes, I see too many people not saving the proper amount. You need to have a good saving amount, right? So that's my first tip. Save the proper amount, 15 to 20%. How do you feel about that, Matt? Uh, I mean, I think it's a good number to shoot for. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, it's more, the more problem I have is you're going to, what you're going to go into next and you're going to say what, 30% goes to dispensable income. Well, yeah, so the 50-30-20 is 50% is your essential expenses, 30% is discretionary, and 20% is that that saving and investing. And and I think that's crazy that anybody can go 50% with savings and discretionary because that's that's a lot. I know. It's tough. I think think that most people have this battle of like, hey, here's my discretionary income and here's, you know, savings. Like I'm I'm having to choose between which one I'm going to go with, whether I'm going to go have fun and do all these things or if I'm going to save. It's usually not a combination of the two. But what you're saying, Lee, though, is if someone were to do this, it would set them up for success. Yes. It sets sets you on the right track. Yeah, you should be trying to hit that 20% number and 
you know, maybe yes, you don't, your essential expenses are extremely high. Then lower that discretionary number, right? But try to aim for 20%. I think that's a, just a good rule of thumb for everyone to try to aim for. And if you're doing that, I think you should feel good about, you know, every month if you're tucking that away into your retirement. So the other one, maximizing your benefits. That's number two. Uh, all too often, I see people that have these great retirement plans from their company and they say, hey, we offer you a 4% match. And I see people say, oh, well, I'll do 2% or I won't do anything at all. I mean, it's free money, right? So when you are employed at a company, figure out what company, what the company retirement plan is. Make sure you're maximizing the benefit, right? Too many people don't do that. So what, what if your company doesn't have a retirement plan? That's unfortunate, but you can set something up on the side for yourself, right? So that's a that's a big mistake we see as well as people say, oh, well, my company doesn't have one. Well, it's on you then to go out and set up your own retirement account. So, set up a Roth for yourself, set up an IRA, um, but you need to set up your retirement account even if your company isn't providing you one. Yeah, so I'm lucky enough to have a retirement plan in my company. But I mean, you work for one of the greatest <laughs> companies ever so yeah they're gonna have a yeah, great yeah. retirement plan yes uh go facebook uh <laughs> but even at all the companies i've been at i think i I like when you mentioned that i was i'm that guy because for me my bring home is so important mm -hmm. so when when i think about maximizing the match it's tough sometimes because then you're, yeah. you're not bringing home that money that money's going away because then you have to like so i think that's that's where the struggle is but i see what you mean by that I think a lot of people I talk to struggle with, with maxing out because they need that, especially in the Bay Area. Exactly, it's bring home money is very important. Mm -hmm. Well, and also too, you know, to piggyback on that, like when, when you have something that matches, and how, how do you see that as opposed to like a, an employee stock purchase plan? I mean, the two totally separate things. No, they're I know, different. but I mean, if you you know both take away from what you take home, right? Yes. And so, would you would you say that it's they're equally important or do you think that you should have the match is much more important than it? You know I mean? I guess it could, could depend kind of on the there, company you're working for. Apples and oranges, right? Very, they're both very different, but the bottom line is you're tucking away money. It's going to lower your taxes. And if all goes well, you're putting money into something that's an asset that's going to make you more money. Right? So that's what everyone kind of doesn't look at is they just look at it as a, it's just, you know, that's a hundred bucks that could be in my pocket. I mean, that could be thousands of dollars if you invest it, right? So, but every situation is different. If your company stock, that's that's different. It depends on how the company does, right? So uh, we're not going to intertwine those two, but the main thing is you need to be saving and investing so you have an asset that's growing for you. But what, what would you, Which, what would you, actually, an asset that's growing for you. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would you say to some a young investor because i i see an, an employee I know, I know they're different things but I, I see an employee stock purchase plan is something of maybe a little bit more aggressive or high risk yes as opposed to the you know the match and would you would you tell somebody that's younger maybe to maybe put a little more emphasis on that than the match because they're as long as they're contributing a little bit to that and starting you know at such a young age they'll you know it's looking better for them in the long run and then an older person should focus more on the match than the employee stock purchase plan? Or what would you say there? I would say that they're both important. Uh, anytime you're buying stock in a single company, there's a great deal of risk, right? So everyone looks at Apple and they say, oh, you know, 
that's a solid bet because it's Apple. It's a great company. I agree. That is a great company. But, I mean, it is one company. So, in my view, I feel that there is a great deal of risk of owning just Apple stock or just Google because I look at the histor- the history of companies from decade to ge- decade, and they always seem to change. I think that, you know, Apple is probably a unicorn in that it's just the best company ever and it's going to be around forever but you don't know right you don't know things change so i would say um diversify your portfolio when it comes to retirement planning tuck away that money uh into your 401k whatever you're using and if you're buying company stock that's great don't go overboard on it though because although you might think it's the greatest thing ever i've seen too many instances where it just doesn't pan out right so if you love this is a, this is a good rule of thumb that was taught to uh, that was taught to me by one of my mentors. If you love the company, ten percent of your overall assets should be invested in it. If you think it's a good company, invest five percent of your assets in it. Um, but understand that there is a great deal of risk anytime you're investing in any single company. So on to our third tip: understand your vesting schedule. So a lot of times companies give you uh, money into your profit sharing plan and they they put it there as kind of a cookie to keep you at the company and a lot of times people think they have this money and they haven't been there long enough right so understand the vesting schedule is it a four-year vesting schedule a six-year and for the listeners a vesting schedule just what the company does they put that in place to make sure you're at the company long enough to get the cookie that they're putting in your account if you leave early you don't get that. So most common vesting schedules we see are a four-year vesting. So you got to be there for four years to get all of it. And it goes at 25, 25, 25, 25 each year. Uh, another common one is a six-year vesting. So, you know, you get can 20, I, can 20. I in really quick? Yeah. So, so these are like, I know a lot about these because like at Facebook, that's one of the part of your compensation. So to your point with the four-year vest, that's what I'm on. Uh, each month, it's a trip because I, I think it, you're hitting on something really important. Each month I get a notification, oh, like this many shares invested. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's either monthly or quarterly, but you'll get seven and 20 and then just understanding. I guess my question to you is like, when when should we sell? Should we hang on to them? Because once they vest, that means you can actually sell. So I could literally go into my Charles Schwab account and sell whenever I want. Or I could, like if I hold on for the four years, that just means I get all of them that were granted to me at my on my hire date. Mm-hmm. But as they vest, you know, I'm, I'm a year and a half in, I can sell whatever I want, whatever is vested so far. Yeah. But so yeah. What, what are your thoughts there? I mean, we're, I think we're talking about different sort of uh, retirement vehicles or investment planning vehicles, but let's just say we're talking about like RSUs or restricted stock units, right? RSUs. That's what I'm talking about. Sorry. Yeah. So let's just say that you do, you do sell, you have to understand, you know, there's tax consequences and all that sort of thing that, you know, that that comes out of the investment but you know it all it all depends on you know how when you need the money and a lot of a lot of factors go into play with those sort of uh investments got it so let's talk about number four smart investing so a lot of times we see and we've kind of touched on this in this conversation you see this a lot in the silicon valley is a lot of people put ton of their money towards their company stock right 
And I just want to say, you have to be smart. You have to diversify, right? I know you think your company is going to make it big, but that doesn't always happen, right? If you love it, maybe consider 10%, maybe consider five. Um, but don't go overboard. I mean, if you do go overboard, understand you're taking a massive risk, right? With your company stock. Uh, try to diversify. Try to invest, you know, not hundreds, thousands, across thousands of different companies. And a lot of company plans give you the capability to do that, right? So don't make that mistake of putting everything in your company stock, right? All right, so tip number five, rebalance. So through the course of a year or a couple of years or a few years, uh, you're going to have a lot of growth in your equities probably. And that's going to take up a larger percentage of your overall assets compared to your fixed income. Figure out, you know, what that percentage needs to be. If you've had a great run up in growth, consider rebalancing. Make sure you peel off some of the gains. Tip number six, have the correct risk tolerance. As you get closer to retirement, make sure that you're not too heavy in the equity side because if, you know, you need to use that money to fund your retirement, you could be taking a huge loss. So make sure you have the right risk tolerance, right? Let's make sure that we have the right amount of bonds and fixed income if we're getting close to retirement. And on the other side of that, if you're young, like the two of you, we got to make sure that we have enough equities in there. I run across a lot of young people that, you know, they're scared of the market and they take a very conservative stance. And in the long run, they're really sacrificing a lot of upside potential. So understand the risk tolerance. If you're younger, try to be more open to having more equities in your retirement account. And on the other side of it, if you're getting ready for retirement, take a look, make sure you're not too aggressive, right? And number seven, tax diversification. We all think about, well, if we put money in the retirement account, we get that uh, reduced tax bill and that's true, but you also need to plan for your future taxes, right? And so that involves looking at Roth accounts, like a Roth 401k. Uh, a lot of the uh, companies in the Bay Area offer that. What and is that? But what does that do? Like, so basically, that is money that is after tax money, right? So uh, with your 401ks, you put the money in there, you get a tax deduction, right? With your Roth account, if you're putting that money in, you're not going to get that tax deduction now, but later on down the road, that all that money is going to grow tax deferred and you're not going to have to pay any taxes from it when you start taking that withdrawal. So is there a certain amount of time or something that you have to wait before you can touch it or yeah, for the Roth, you're going to want to wait till you're of retirement age. So generally 59 and a half. Right. Um, but it, it's great to diversify your tax situation. You want to have both buckets working for you. So all too often we see people that are only focused on, you know, a regular 401k and maybe they'll be looking at their Roth, but most of the time people don't have that Roth component. So it's really important for especially young investors to really consider that. So tax diversification is my number seven tip for the younger investors. Lee, like obviously like they can't, they probably aren't doing this on their own, right? Like you'd recommend, would you recommend like seeking financial advice? Cause like, I, I remember just thinking 10 years ago, like, I wouldn't know what I wouldn't know about any of these things. Yeah, it sounds great, but implementing it's like a whole different thing. So yeah, I'm curious, like, is there like a playbook of if you could give um seek financial, financial advice? <laughs> um what are your thoughts there? Well, I think that, you know, you do need to have an expert look over this. I think another big mistake we all fall into is 
with all these apps and websites now, the internet's kind of made a world where, hey, you can just do it yourself. Just yeah. go on YouTube and figure it out. And unfortunately, it's a good thing because information is so readily available with the internet, but also you see people make a ton of mistakes, yep. right? Everyone's an expert, and it's all too often I run into the someone's like, I got this all figured out, and you just see terrible mistakes that they do. Yep. So it's always good to understand, uh, I'll say the LeVar, the LeVar Ball quote, stay in your lane, right? <laughs> Um, you know, understand what you're good at and what you're not. So yeah, I'm not going to be trying to like draft up my own legal documents when I should be saying, Matt, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. This app <laughs> tells me it knows everything, but I think this is probably a bad decision. I think you should look at it. Right. So let's defer to the expert. Like I'm not going to, if I need a project management help or career advice, I'm going to go to Sergio. I'm not going to try to like figure this out on my own. Go to the expert, right? Defer to the expert in whatever you're trying to get done awesome all right so we're going to go to the break but when we are back we're going to be talking about culture at a silicon valley tech giant with our boy sergio he knows all about this he's been in this i know a lot of people have been asking like what is it like to work there what are they looking for so sergio is going to give you the scoop of what it's like to work at a silicon valley tech giant and the culture that they have stay tuned Welcome back in. We're talking culture at a Silicon Valley tech giant with career advisor Sergio Patterson. Serge, all of our listeners have been asking, what is it like to work at Facebook, Amazon, Google? And, you know, we thought this would be a great topic for you to give the listeners insight in what it's like and the culture and maybe some of the expectations that these companies are looking for from potential candidates. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, well, I want to keep my job, so I'm not going to talk too much about Facebook. Um, I'll keep it vague in that area, but I'll try to give you guys a good look and <clears throat> glimpse in, in just what it's like working at. Um, I've been at LinkedIn, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and they all have similarities. They all have differences. Um, there's lots of there's lots of pros, lots of cons. Um, everything you see, it's it's essentially, you know it's a vacation sometimes working at these places and we're all privileged. You know, there's, there's amenities, there's gyms, there's free food everywhere. Um, cafes everywhere. They do my laundry for me sometimes. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous how much you can do there. There's, there's showers. You could literally live there. Um, so when I think about culture, you know, those are, those are some of the things like on the surface, but what culture really means is like the tone that, that management and leadership sets. And any good company is going to have a good set of leaders. And I think, you know, for me, in my experience, um, I've experienced good leadership at Google. I've experienced bad leadership at Amazon. And I have good leadership now here at Facebook. 
Um, I think like as we get into this discussion, I can tell you some of the key things that like, you know, people are looking for when they're hiring, you know, some of the hiring managers and then some specifics when I, what I mean by like good management, bad management, but leaders really set the culture for the company. Like the free food and the cafes, it's cool, but that's not the culture. The culture is the way, the way people make you feel, um, and the way managers treat you. Um, so that, that's what culture means to me is like how engaging the manager are, is, how, how empowered do they make you feel? Um, that's what culture means to me. And it's the opposite of the old guard. So you can think, you know, my parents grew up in the Cisco's of, and Hewlett Packard's of the world. And it was very, everybody wore a suit to work every day. Everybody was very buttoned up and, and structured and uh, intense. And I think, you know, Zuckerberg, what he did and what Google did is they kind of flipped that on its head. People wear shorts and sandals to work. People are relaxed. People, uh, you know, just want to have a good time and like get their work done as well. So I think when you think about culture, those are some of the things that, that, that are important to me. Um, so but, but yeah. actually I got a question for you. So yeah, yeah. you're talking about how the dress attire is, right? Yes. Obviously you think Zuck was known for his hoodie, right? Hoodie, t-shirts. Now it's just t-shirts. So let's not talk too much about Zuck. Though. Is there <laughs> any like sort of, uh, you know, way that you can come dressed that might cross a line. I mean, is there, is there anyone looking like, uh, is there like a dress code where they say, Hey, you can't wear this. Is there, have you heard of anything? Like- no, so, so there's no dress code, but I think realistically, you know, I, you want to look, you want to look good. Like you want to look nice. I think people, people look good. Look, they dress good. Like, but there's no dress code. Um, for me, I mean, I think everyone's different, but like I probably won't wear shorts to work. Um, I think different people can get away with different things and depending on who you are. But one of the best things about Facebook is one of their values is bring your authentic self to work. So there are people that wear shorts. There are people that wear, they might wear a t-shirt that might, someone might not agree with. Well, I know that you have like these leather spandex chaps that you like to wear that look, that's only, only on the weekends. (laughs) Would they be, are they okay with that? Like if you wanted to dress like maybe provocatively. So that's, that's, I think that's a, that's a, that's an interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) I think it depends on the way it makes, it would make your coworkers feel. Cause that's the other thing you need to be respectful of people. So if you're dressing some way and it's a little bit out of line, someone may say something, but there's not, there's not like a, there's not like a handbook that says you can't wear certain things. I mean, I haven't seen anybody wear that. So not really dress code, but more of a code of conduct, like be respectful, be respectful. Yeah. Got you. Okay. All right, Sergio. So out of all the tech giants you've worked at, which one's got the best food? Finally, legit question. (laughs) Uh, so th- yeah, I spent a lot of time on this, <laughs> spent a lot of time thinking about this. I mean, this is very important and it's honestly like an important perk that people think about when they're, uh, deciding where to work. But, uh, I mean, hands down it's Google. Um, Google in Mountain View has the best cafes. No, no doubt. Uh, specifically for anyone that's been to Masa, it's literally one of the best Mexican restaurants I've ever been to. Um, really one of the best Mexican restaurants you ever yeah, and, been and to. And this is coming from somebody who gets authentic Mexican food cooked for them every night. Um, it's legit. It's legit. That one of the best burritos, they have this nacho cheese sauce. That's amazing. I probably gained 15 pounds. They have this thing called the Google 15. Everyone gains 15 pounds when they start <laughs> working at Google. <laughs> it happened. Uh, 
the other thing they have cool is this thing called the coffee lab. So you, it's literally like a legit like coffee shop, real baristas making coffee right there. And it's some of the best coffee I've ever had. Um, they also have a sit down Indian restaurant where you can actually, you actually get served. So there's waiters. Um, there's a bowling alley. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I just think hands down, like when I think about food, it's Google campus. It's probably a toss up between Google and Facebook. What about activities? Yeah. So at, at Google, they have, um, a volleyball court, basketball court, soccer field, all on campus. There's also a bowling alley. So a lot of teams do like offsite events there. Um, you can bowl whenever you want. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a volleyball court with sand. I think I talked about that. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And so when you, when you go to these cafes, do you, do you get to, can you bring home food to the whole family? Yeah, I, sh- I shouldn't talk. Uh, that's a dangerous question. <laughs> that was a loaded question. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, the, the I, yeah, I, I, I've, Guilty. I've taken home quite a Be few. Careful. Like my, my family started to count on, uh, on me bringing some ho- stuff home and my, my, my pantry is filled with snacks from, and they, they get the best snacks too. That's what's awesome. So it, what, you guys need to come up to Facebook. It's Facebook one of these days. And you guys can raid the kitchen with me. We are going to do that. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Amazing. Yes. Uh, on the flip side, quickly, I'll, I'll be quick. You guys know how much I love Amazon. This is the reason why I hate them is literally they have a cafe in the Bay Area and you have to pay for the food. Really? Yes. It's ridiculous. And, and, well, how would you compare their prices to like, you know, like a... A regular cafe i mean you can get like a burger and fries for like seven bucks or something so i think it's it's cheaper but it's barely it shocked me when i was like because you're not used to paying for anything yeah so uh i thought i thought that was a shot i mean amazon seattle campus is really nice um but they just don't have some of the the things you grow used to when you work at companies like google and facebook and those types of companies and then how about um in terms of like management style so um, I know we were talking about a little, uh, we were talking about this before we got on, but there's different types of management styles, right? Um, we have, you know, autocratic management, which is basically the most controlling sort of management style there is. There's a democratic management, which where the managers have, uh, they make their decisions based off input from the employees. And then there's laissez-faire, which is basically there's no little there's no interference from management and it's a very hands-off approach yeah what would you say the management style is that these major tech companies in the silicon valley yeah good question so i think it really depends on the organization you're in so when i when i say organization i mean like so each company has this overall you know amazon has these leadership principles there's like 13 leadership principles that the company kind of lives by, lives by, but each organization has its own leader and that leader kind of sets the tone. Um, so let's just say, f- example for Amazon, it's very much a micromanaged environment where your manager is going to be into everything you're doing. They're going to want to be kind of on the field, on the playing field with you and pushing you to like make sure everything gets done at a certain time. So I think that's when you talk about the management style. I think when you think, when I think about my time at Amazon, it was very much a micromanage um, culture where um, they want to be involved in everything. Uh, and it's not, in, in my opinion, it doesn't allow employees to thrive. I think one of the reasons why they hire you is to kind of be empowered and make decisions. So I think this is one management style. I think you mentioned at 
autocratic management most controlling. I think I've seen that bits and pieces at, um, even at Facebook, I've seen it. It just depends on the manager. I've seen it at Google and I've seen it at Amazon. Okay, so you see that style across all of them. Because it, it, it's not dependent on the company, it's dependent on the leader. Oh, okay. Each, each manager may have a different management style, but what's good about Facebook, you rarely see this because they spend a lot of time making sure that the leaders they bring in are actually fit to be people managers. Like if like there's two tracks, you can you can decide to be a people manager or you can decide to be like an individual contributor. That's what they call it. So they literally like you have to intentionally say, I want to manage people and go through a ton of training to become a manager at Facebook. So it's very rare that somebody is going to be a shitty manager at Facebook. It's rare. That's awesome. That's a awesome policy and procedure that you have to do that because that that probably is a huge reason why they're successful. Yeah, it didn't happen so much at Amazon. I had a shit manager there. <laughs> <laughs> so so like you know your experience at these different companies which 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 management style did you think was probably the most effective or which one did you see work the best yeah shout out to uh my manager at google uh her name was beth she was a combination of like hands off where it made me feel empowered and what i mean by that is it, it, it made you feel like you can make a decision and you're not going to get yelled at even if you make mistakes i think the best manager is there to like support you coach you through the mistakes and help you get better but not it's not almost like a oh you did something wrong or like it's it's the, the best managers are ones that can kind of be there to support you and move kind of remove the roadblocks so at all these tech companies you're working cross-functionally with a ton of different stakeholders so engineering teams product managers ux designers the best manager can help you kind of strategically influence all these different people and kind of be your advocate and help you get that seat at the table versus like trying to micromanage you on your work. The best managers let you do your work and help you remove roadblocks. Um, for me, that's, that's like the best manager. And I've had that at Google. I have that, you know, I've seen it at Facebook. Um, I did not have that at Amazon, but again, it's, it's down to the manager and leaders because it's, it's like top down culture. They make it more of a team effort than it's like, you know, it's on you and you're in trouble and <laughs> whatever. Yeah, else exactly. There. Exactly. So how do you fit in? So if you're, you know, you're new, you're hired, how are you going to fit in to the culture of these Silicon Valley tech giants? Yeah. Again, it depends on which, which company you're talking about. Um, I'd say at the good, the good companies. Um, I don't want to keep bashing on Amazon, but <laughs> I didn't have a great experience at Amazon, but anyways, Bezos is going to take us out. I'd I know say, this. So I, I have like Looks seven like hitman. I'd say there's like seven key points. I'm taking, taking a playbook out of Lee's market overview. Um, but when you're a new hire, just think of it like this. So first and foremost, like be humble. And what I mean by that is like, you're, you're in a very privileged situation and to be at one of these companies and understand that, you know, you're at Facebook, Google, whatever. Um, there's only so many of us that are there. So try to stay humble. Don't get, you know, don't become arrogant. Don't say, Oh, I work at Google, this and that, like stay humble. Um, great advice. Yeah. The other part of this is take some time to observe and learn. Uh, the way I put it is like, there's, I've seen some people come in and just shit on all the processes without actually understanding the logic behind that. So while you know, a fresh set of eyes is, is, is really valuable at the company, but take some time just to like 
really meet people and understand the logic behind some of these things before you just shit on everything. Mm-hmm. But like, as I said, companies really value new hires. Um, cause a lot of times people like companies just get stuck in the way they've been doing things. Right. So it's like, if you're a new hire, you know, take some time to learn, figure out what, you know, what they have going on, but then start asking questions because that's why they hired you. You're a fresh set of eyes. You know, you're not jaded. Go in there and like ask questions. I think we talked about that in a previous episode, like being curious was the most underestimated uh, quality that these companies are looking for. For sure, man. They, they want they they want you to push the the status quo mm-hmm. because a lot of these companies get set in their ways, and new hires are like just a fresh set of eyes. Ask questions. Don't be afraid. Like don't be afraid to stand up and ask questions. I think even myself, I have a pretty reserved personality, so it takes me time to to open up so at these companies they want you to be bold so really try to like get in there and ask questions what about your values like so is there a common set of values that you should have if you're coming on board with one of these companies like what do you from what you've heard through upper level management what is the message that they try to preach to their employees yeah i'd say a common theme is just like one be kind. I know that sounds probably cliche, but uh, like assume good intent. So, so uh, you know, something at Facebook we always say is assume good intent. So what that means is if someone makes a mistake or someone says the wrong thing, assume that they're coming from a good place. Don't assume that, don't assume that people have bad intentions. Um, I and I think that. that's just like a life lesson. Yeah, that's a good principle. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, you know, I, I talked about being bold. You know, I think at a lot of these companies, they, they want people who are willing to push back against status quo. Really? Um, yeah, because it's, it's, these are in, very innovative companies, so they need people who are going to say crazy things. That's fascinating. I would think the opposite. I thought they want people that just fall right in line. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's how these, these cool products get built. Somebody in a, in a random meeting is going to say the craziest idea, and maybe it'll get built. Um, so you have a lot of innovative and creative people that can thrive in like these very, the other part of this thing is how do you fit in as a new hire? Like you need to be very comfortable with ambiguity and constant change. Um, in a year and a half at Facebook, I'll have my third manager. So we've already done a reorg and what that means is they just like reorganize the whole organization. So, and this happens at every company, but I think you have to be really comfortable with constant change, fast-paced environment, and be able to adapt when things don't go perfectly. Um, yeah, the other the other thing is uh, really crucial if you're new. Put people put time on people's calendars, whether it's coffee. Just figure out like everybody on your team and and start to like build that connection with them. Um, that that's really helped me at every company I've been at because then you start building rapport and you start building allies within the company um, because it helps you in your career at the company because a lot of the, a lot of the way these people get ahead in these companies is like their percent. It's like they're building your own brand brand within the company. The individuals building the brand individuals. You're you literally, everybody has a brand at these companies. I have a brand at Facebook. You know, you potentially have a brand here at your company. You have a brand like everything. Your work is your brand, right? Yeah. And all the relationships you make, that's your brand and you're building that on a daily basis. So 
think of that because it's, you know, for me, I, I let a lot of my work do my talking, but to really get ahead, you have to almost promote yourself. And it's, it's kind of annoying the way some people do it because it's hard to assume good intent sometimes. But like, for me, I think if, if you're authentic about it and people know you're coming from a good place, um, it typically will work for you. I love that. I think we'll end on that note. That was amazing stuff and great advice. Awesome. Uh, build your brand, you know, at work and in your personal relationships. Love it. Great job, man. Yeah. All right. So we, our episode is coming to a close. So on our next episode, Mr. McElroy and I will be tackling, are you ready to buy a home? And Matt will be addressing what you need to do before you buy that home. Matt, you want to give them a little bit? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you need to know when finding a you know real estate broker and just, you know, what you need to know as far as the inspections and things of that nature. You know, I, I, I often represent a lot of clients in, in suing their real estate broker. And, you know, I, I often represent the buyers in a lot of the disputes that I, I handle. And, you know, there are so many mistakes that you can avoid with just some simple things. And, you know, we're going to try to go over that. It's, it's, it's a subject that has a lot of depth, but, you know, we'll try our best to cover it the best we can. Sounds like it's going to be a great episode with a lot of important information. We're closing up. Thank you for tuning into the show. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Advisory services offered through RP Advisory Services Incorporated, a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member of FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. The Free Retiree, RP Advisory Services, and Securities America are separate entities. Career advisors Sergio Patterson and attorney Matt McGowan are not affiliated with RMP Advisory Services or the Securities America Company. Securities America, RMP Advisory Services Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it is important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. All or a portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of a career advisor, Sergio Patterson, do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Incorporated. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.